0: Hello and welcome to the podcast of TechEU. I am your host, Andrew Degler. Today is Friday, and so in today's episode, I wanted to share with you a longer interview to sustain you through the weekend. It's a recording of my recent interview on Twitter Spaces with Mark Durnow, who is the managing partner at Rockstart Agrifood. So, Rockstart as a company has spent most of its existence as an accelerator, but now for the past couple of years it has been transforming itself into an accelerator VC. So I talked to Mark about what it actually means means in practice, what kind of agri-food companies he is looking for, and much more. The recording starts kind of in the middle of small talk where we discussed uh, Mark being very busy sifting through applications for the upcoming cohort. So let's pick it up from there. So how many, like, what's the percentage of the applicants that you have to speak with? One hundred or oh, less?
1: No, 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 less than one hundred percent. Definitely. Have we started, by the way? Are we live now?
0: Yes, we. Yes, we are live. It, we, we were live from oh, yeah. the very beginning. That's the, that's the thing about oh, it. Right. The, the, okay. Yeah, the, the, there is there is no way uh, not to be live if you start the space. Yeah, you're uh, you're on.
1: We're on. Okay, great. This is my first Twitter uh, Twitter audio feed experience. So. So, same, um, same, actually, yeah. yeah. Cool. So yeah, the question was, do I speak to 100% of applicants? No, thankfully not. We had over 600 inquiries for investment. So we basically narrow that down so that I'll probably speak to, I think I've done, I think between the team, so between myself, Matthias, who's the investment manager, and Artem, who's our analyst, uh, we've done somewhere in the region of 500 calls. In the last six weeks and oh. um, me personally maybe just over a hundred or so martin does the lion's share at the start and then we try and divide and conquer and the idea is that we as as we go on of course we have more calls with the top rank ranking and rated startups and then start pulling in the mentor network and then getting some some extra opinions and also so that importantly so that the entrepreneurs can also get to know us a little bit and get to know the Rockstart uh, ecosystem as well uh, so this week we will narrow that down to the top 40 Mm-hmm. And tomorrow, I believe, uh, some of the invitations will be going out to uh, first election days, which is very exciting.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's cool. And the uh, last time we spoke uh, uh, was in November 2019. I mean, uh, the last time we spoke for the podcast, that is, was in yeah. November 2019. That was in Copenhagen at Tech Barbecue, if you can remember, that was a thing at all.
1: I remember we were sitting in a cloakroom.
0: Yeah, yeah, indeed, it was it was really echoey and cavernous, and we 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 had to try to speak uh, softer just uh, uh, <coughs> to not invoke uh, too much echo. Yeah. Anyway, I I mean, with uh, with how things uh, went on in 2020 and uh, so far in 2021, I would uh, that definitely beats uh, uh, sitting uh, sitting in your uh, in your house 24 uh, seven and not being able to go to Copenhagen again
1: of course we've uh, we've had a lot of big changes since 2019 some of the portfolio companies and entrepreneurs that we're working with I haven't even met them in person yet which is oh. really strange um but you know we're optimistic. Things will start to open up. I've, I'm going to have a hopefully a, a first trip to Copenhagen for quite some months next month uh, in order to catch up with the team and and some of the the portfolio companies. So I'm looking forward to that. And I think also you know we've all had to go remote. We've all had to change our behaviours, yeah. and it's an opportunity to reassess how we operate. You know, with, with Rockstar, we took the opportunity to go fully remote and we said, well, there's, there, you know, our future was already lying in, this, in the accelerator VC um, positioning as opposed to being like a co-working space where there are organizations that are much better suited to be co-working spaces. So it was a chance for us to really reassess exactly what we were spending our time and energy on. And I think, I hope, you I know, mean, we see that with a lot of A lot of organizations and individuals really questioning how you go about doing your operations so we we went fully remote and now the team is is quite happily distributed in the places where they're close to family friends loved ones and then we come together when it matters so that's been quite a positive experience actually
0: yeah yeah i can uh, I, I can imagine and i noticed that uh, pretty quickly rockstart uh, did announce that it becomes a remote first and then uh, you mentioned this new positioning uh so this switch from an accelerator uh, to accelerator vc so what does it actually mean in practice what does it mean for you as the managing partner of AgriFood and what does it mean for startups in your program
1: yeah for me, it means loads more reporting <laughs> because, because now we've got the, you know, we've got really uh, institutional and, and, and very large professional investors backing us, which is fantastic. And they're very supportive, I have to say. But it does, it also comes with a little bit of a toll because we, we're reporting to AFM and we're EU VECA certified and stuff. But that's fine. I think what it means in practice is much longer term time horizons so if i think about like when we're when we invested in 2019 in nordetect uh, which is one of the portfolio companies at that time they weren't sure about their product market fit. Um, they still had some stuff to prove out on the r&d and you know yeah, i think i think usually we would look at it uh, like as an accelerator you're looking at how you're going to add value in those six months in the, yeah. in the program but as an accelerator vc we're saying okay well what's what's our kind of commitment what realistically what's that going to look like in the next two or three rounds and how are we going to add value on the board going forward? So now we've done three rounds with NorDetect in the last uh, uh, last year and a half. Um, we're on the board, of course, and trying to, and, and we're helping them open up uh, avenues into the horticulture network in the in the Netherlands and into into vertical farming because that's partly my background. So that's that's an ongoing process that we anticipate to be part of for a much longer time horizon, rather than going in and saying, how do we make the most impact in six months, and then the after, uh, you know, the after program support is kind of like making sure they still get introductions and and access to deals. Now we're really anticipating, right, can we deploy capital into this company and make it meaningful and make it useful for the entrepreneur? And can we play a useful role in a structural way by either being on the board or being an observer um, for for the longer term? That was a big difference. Also, I think, you know, when I use another example, Zymoscope is another company we in, in initially invested in last year in 2020 and they're using a sensor to measure the gas head for fermentation mm-hmm. we do that in a very affordable and and um, efficient way and initially they were just focused on the beer industry and what we said was well it's in, this is interesting tech great team but the, the actual application can go much, much broader than that. So with Zymoscope, we were able to syndicate this round with the anticipation that in the mid term we'll also help them with another round that will allow them to expand out of just the beer industry alone. So that's like a three, four year time horizon that you're planning. And that's a big change. I think those are positive changes mm-hmm. that we see. One of the things that's been difficult in switching to from a, being a pure accelerator to being an accelerator VC uh, is our positioning in the market is actually sometimes difficult because people find it hard to peg us. You know, yep. uh, you know the, the perception <clears throat> is often still that it's an accelerator, but we're not quite that, and we don't so we're not quite a vc because we are kind of hands on and and pulling together a structured program and network so it's we're kind of hard to peg <laughs> basically yeah.
0: yeah so do you see actually any sort of mismatch of expectations happening for some company that are applying either they would think that you are a pure accelerator and would expect uh, something more of a sort of a hands-on maybe on-premise uh, program and then it wouldn't be it or maybe from the other side that people would think that you are just a just a vc and uh, would expect something like that from you
1: a little bit or not that you've kind of got those two extremes on either side of yeah. the, the pipeline you've got one one group of, of entrepreneurs who come in and say i've got a concept i'd like to take forwards and we have to say well we're not going to do business model canvas with you uh, with (laughs) all respect with all respect we want to see some traction because we've got we've you know we have a fund to deploy and we're we're kind of the stage just after that so that's 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 just an education like to to explain what kind of accelerator program we are and then likewise you sometimes have series a b companies who are saying well we'd really like you to be part of this round because we 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 know you've got a good network and a decent reputation etc and we say well that doesn't really make sense for us because it's too late. And we always start with the accelerator investment because that's where we believe we can make the most um, value for the entrepreneur. So we have that conversation often, but it's just I mean, it's also just educating. And uh, one of the things that I've learned personally is that the vocabulary accelerator is is like it's a very narrow it's one vo- it's one word that needs to cover a multitude of different possibilities when it comes to programs so we do spend quite a lot of time uh, explaining to startups and entrepreneurs what kind of program rockstart delivers and and what our ambitions are
0: yeah I can imagine, and you have just recently closed uh, the agri-food uh, fund at uh, uh, what was reported as twenty-two plus uh, million euros. What does twenty-two plus mean? Is it twenty-three? Is it thirty? Is it fifty? Why? Why is this? Uh, why was this the number that uh, you went with?
1: The 22 plus is because it's just above 22 million it's actually <laughs> it's actually 22 million and 50, <laughs> that the fund on. so so we said we said well we have to give credit to every euro that we're working for absolutely it's, no
0: i i agree i agree, I agree. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so and uh so but i mean uh, this uh this fund uh, has been in the works uh, for a while and you have already invested uh, quite a uh, quite a bit out of it am i right
1: yes. yeah. yeah. We, we did our initial close in July of 2019. At that time, we had a target to raise 20 million euros. So having a final close on 22 uh, surpassed our expectations. So we were very pleased with that. We've so far um, invested in 20 startups. Though that's since the middle of 2019, so in just under two years. Those 20 startups have raised accumulatively about 10 million euros together. And Rockstart's been, our agri-food fund has, uh, has deployed three and a half million euros of that. So we're, we're pleased because we're on target in terms of deal flow timing. We're on target in terms of allocating capital into the portfolio and creating opportunities for them and we're also on target in terms of syndication because it's always been our goal that we would look to co-invest alongside strong syndication partners and the fact that we're accounting for kind of a third of, of, of what the um, so far of what the portfolio has raised is a really good ratio for us at this point uh, of the, the fund's life's
0: lifetime. Yeah, that's, that's great to hear. And uh, it's especially great to hear since you've uh, managed to do a lot of this during the year 2020, during the lockdowns and uh, generally pretty uh, tough year for everyone on both professional and personal levels. And uh, which, which is why I also wanted to ask what uh, sort of impact of uh, the pandemic was on the program? What was it on the fund? And just before that, I wanted also to mention that, I mean, as far as I understand, as far as understood from uh, our previous conversation, 2019, even back then you already were not exactly as sort of hands on of an accelerator as. Um one could imagine you already didn't uh, have this one 3 months or 6 month program you already had these deep dives uh, deep dive mm. weeks uh, mm. happening every uh, every month if i'm not mistaken so it was already not uh, like a full time uh, uh, long program but it was already sort of um, one uh, that uh, consisted of uh, shorter intense uh, weeks uh, so what happened uh, when uh, when the lockdowns uh, started
1: yeah i mean we were at a slight advantage actually because of these deep dives so just to explain the concept of the deep dives for anybody who who's unaware of how we do that the program is half a year long originally in years ago when we were only doing the accelerator component that was an on location full-time program so you were just you were there every week and there was workshops every week and it was like six months of of basically kind of a, a very structured approach and 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 i think that's what you mean by hands-on Andre. What yeah, we yeah, saw, yeah exactly I mean, yeah. So what we see is that, you know, especially for the stage of businesses, when we're investing, you do need to have some operational bandwidth and time in the week to actually run your company. <laughs> and uh, and the way that we felt that the, the, the most impactful way to build that into our program proposition uh, was to say, right, we're going to customize the content. Uh, so that it's really specific to the portfolio companies that we work with. That means that we're going to design it as we go. And we're also going to, uh, the hands-on part is really us working with the entrepreneurs and the mentors working with the entrepreneurs. So you've got three weeks where uh, in the month where you are building your company, essentially, with the help of these mentors and, and this core council, as we call it. And then the one week the deep dive week at the end of the month is when we all come together and that's where there's the designed learning so if you if you, an example could be let's say we we had certain sales targets that we wanted to be able to showcase a 5% week-on-week week growth for a specific company and that that growth was not being met in the first month we would use the deep dive week to dig into assumptions change up the sales strategy for the Mm -hmm. following month rapidly test it in the coming three weeks and and obviously record the data and the the progress and if that's still not working then we we dive back into it again in the next deep dive week so you, you, you get this rapid experimentation going on a monthly basis on various different themes that are are really important to the specific portfolio company and it allows the entrepreneur to to be company building as opposed to just doing the program. So that's a, sorry, that's a rather long winded explanation, but I think it's important to state.
0: No, no, it's okay. So yeah. And, uh, and so, and then, uh, so you were already at this uh, stage, you were doing yeah. it this way and then, uh, came February, March of uh, 2020 and the changes uh, began to happen.
1: Yes, exactly. So when those changes started to happen, what we, what we did was, um, Everything had to go online. We took a decision that we didn't want to slow down on the pace of our investments because the fund term is the fund term and we wanted to get this capital out there to entrepreneurs who needed it. Uh, in fact, many of them needed it more at the beginning of Corona. And, and uh, we believed that we would still be able to deliver high quality content and and events albeit online and i think we've lived up to that the, the last program was fully online and it still scored a net promoter score of like 89 and uh um, overall scoring from the startups average was like nine out of ten so we were able to pivot and th- that's been really great now we want to start you know we we miss <laughs> we miss the human contact a little bit so we're hoping that uh, in the last quarter of this year we'll be able to start back with a few a- actual events live events where we're meeting up in person
0: yeah, what, so, what sort of live events uh, and uh, for whom for the uh, for these for the uh, startups in the current cohort or just like for for the portfolio companies in general
1: uh, definitely for the startups in the current cohort the ones that would be in the program at the time but we quite often invite in portfolio companies if it makes sense for them to attend anyway but i think the, the ones the ones we receive would make the biggest difference is on investor events uh, speaking as an investor who goes to several online investor events it's it's really hard to get the engagement so I've i've moderated them but i've also been a guest during these events and nothing really beats building a personal connection when you can sit down and look at each other in the eye, so to speak. So I think they would be on the top of my priority list. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine. So you had uh, this uh, one cohort, uh, as far as I understand, last year, uh, during which and during that program, you sort of had to improvise a little bit. And now you are going to have this new cohort, which you already start uh, understanding uh, how to uh, conduct a program online. What sort of lessons uh, have you have you seen? What sort of changes? What sort of adjustments uh, are you making mm-hmm. for this one?
1: Well, we've done two cohorts now, actually.
0: Online. Oh, all right right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, we did the fall program last year and then the spring program which we're still running this year has been fully remote uh, as well. Lessons learned, gosh there's a lot of them. Uh, from my from my side I think it's the importance of having regular and structured touch points with each other. It's really easy to just end up being quite transactional when you're doing zoom calls all the time. Uh,
0: well, uh, does it Does it go only just uh, with, with between you and the startups or also within the team?
1: Both, I mean the, the team we have, uh, we always have a, a, about three hours on a Monday across the day where we've got various different check-in moments and points to, to kind of check in. We also arrange for social activities via Zoom as well, as I'm sure many do. But that's really important because if you don't get that soft connection, then when it comes to having confrontational conversations, which you do have to have, like at at times when you're making critical decisions, then it's really difficult on an online environment to understand where the other person is coming from when you've never had the opportunity to meet face-to-face and just simply read their body language. So our most recent investments uh, in like, you know, Lunch.co, Evoco and Reduced are the three companies I'm, you know, we're working with on a weekly basis just now. I've never met those founders. I'd say we've got a pretty good rapport going, though, (laughs) because we have uh, these regular touch points through the week. So that's very important.
0: Yeah but still I hope that uh, there will be a possibility for uh, you to meet them in, in person and uh, and speaking of investment at uh, the companies in the cohort uh, back in 2019 uh, when we were talking you said that for that uh, cohort 20% of applications uh, uh, came from uh, startups based in Asia is it still in the case is it uh, how was this number how was this number like during the second cohort and now uh, with the applications for the third one um
1: yeah so i think in sheer numbers in sheer like numbers of actual applications from Asia it's more or less the same but the numbers decrease through in, in a percentage so ratio is 10% come from Asia Oceania um, we've got just shy of sixty percent European applications, and we've got about ten uh, percent um, between North America, and Latin America, and then a, a, a big chunk out of Africa as well. So, uh, but our main focus for this scouting round has been on European startups. It has to be said, like we, we've been like actively uh, reaching out and, and and looking for those companies, and that's a little bit also to do with this remote um, approach. You know, if you're investing in a company um and investing in an entrepreneur usually we'd get the chance to meet those entrepreneurs face to face and when we're not doing that you know we do want to make sure that we've at least got a lot of network and a lot of um uh, ecosystem that we can draw upon uh, in, in the due diligence process and we're just we're just more connected in europe for than in asia for that just now
0: Right. It's, it's a bit counterintuitive, though, because I would expect uh, that since everything has gone online anyway, why not just look sort of wider? Why not uh, try to get more startups uh, coming from, I don't know, Australia all the way uh, across the world?
1: Yeah, I mean, from a trans- again, it comes down to that soft point, right? Um, from a transactional perspective, absolutely. It's easier because everybody's more willing to be online and more accommodating with the idea of, of doing business online. But when you make an investment decision, a huge percentage of what we're assessing is the team and if i use uh, an example reduced uh, is a company we we invested in in, in january that company they're based out of of Denmark and Copenhagen they're using side streams in the food industry to make uh, quality uh, products for for consumers under the reduced brand so really right on target for what we're looking at I've never met the team before but I have met a lot of the mentors and I know a lot of the mentors who are based out of Copenhagen that were able to sit down and have coffees with them were able to do workshops with them over the weekends and they gave me feedback on how it was to work with them so i was able to make them like the team not just myself but we were able to make a much more confident investment decision as a result of that so that's what i mean by you need to substitute the soft points a little bit uh, and and uh, that that's one way of Ensuring that you're still making a robust decision about who, who you're bringing into the portfolio.
0: Right, right. Now that's a that's a good one. And uh, since you mentioned uh, uh, that uh, that was like a spot-on uh, uh, fit uh, with uh, what you're looking for, I want to quote uh, one. Sentence from our report about uh, the closing of uh, your fund, Uh, the Mm -hmm. Rockstart Agri-Food 2021 program will specifically focus on regenerative food production, circular processes and distribution, and quantifiable food consumption. The quote ends. Uh, So why these topics and also what do all these words actually mean in plain English? Because I'm not sure I understand it fully.
1: Yeah, of course. Um, so th- those words are very broad, actually. They, 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 these are challenges that apply to multiple aspects of the food system. So it's not, although it says specifically, I wouldn't say that like regenerative ag is a massive topic. You think about soil health and and biodiversity in soil, and you, you know, even the, the term regenerative agriculture means different things to different people. So I'll try, I'll try and explain what we're looking for at the moment, uh, and where we, we, what we think is important. So regenerative ag, what we're really looking for there are companies who are able to come with commercial solutions, commercially viable. It's important to state that because within the regenerative ag space, that is difficult, that are applying this uh, a kind of microbiome approach to soil. So really looking at all of the different climatic and uh, biological and chemical actions that are happening in the soil and helping farmers in a way that makes money for them to improve the health of their soil. Uh, So those could be microbes that are applied into, uh, as a new application across the soil in order to improve the biodiversity there and improve the the soil health overall. It could also, it could be, uh, we've looked at a couple of companies that are doing really interesting things with microbes that are on the farm and actually accelerating the, the regeneration of those microbes and then kind of proliferating that across the soil. And it can also be, it can link to Uh, Looking at carbon credits and looking at carbon offset management for farmers, so long as two things are true. One is it needs to benefit the farmer. Like They're the ones who are actually managing this land, so they should absolutely see the benefit of the activities that they're doing. It's the only, that's the best way to incentivize the behavior. And the second is it should not be a blunt instrument. There's a lot of companies out there who are talking about carbon credits, who are, who are referring to regenerative ag as being part of the solution. And they're correct. They are correct. But if you apply it too simplistically, you just end up moving one monoculture production practice into another one. And that's not necessarily good either. Um, So that's a couple of examples on the regenerative ag side. We're also looking towards uh, sustainable packaging in particular. I mean, if you look at plastic and that's becoming a, a pretty pretty interesting theme in various different uh, um, industries as well but the food industry alone is uh, is using packaging for most products whether that's um, single use plastic packaging whether that's a biodegradable um, substitute or whether it's bioplastics there's a lot of solutions out there we've been looking Quite deeply into that space, and it's it's really complex because if you need to take consideration of, of of who's going to use the plastic solution, and normally, oftentimes, that are those are large corporations, and when you speak to those large corporations, they're not so excited about things like biodegradable single-use plastics necessarily. Because Why not? Consu- Well, well, behaviorally, consumers, you're going to think it's biodegradable and you can chuck that in the bin and it's not going to do any harm. But actually, it's going to end up in a landfill, uh, which means it's not going to be able to get any oxygen, which means that there's going to be no biodegradation because you're going to end up in in an environment that uh, the plastic can't be broken down. Uh, So they would much rather see, and the second point to that answer is uh, many of these. Retailers, many of the large corporations are heavily invested into uh, recycling as a solution or upcycling as a solution as well, but mostly recycling as a solution. So therefore, it's it's in many ways more interesting to have plastics or um, materials that can be recycled or upcycled on several occasions, because then you can spread that carbon footprint out across multiple lifespans for a product. And one great example of that is a company that I'll be talking to next week in a panel uh, on a, a, a Panel with Rethinking Materials. Um, They're a company called TBQ. They upcycle household waste. So that's anything from, I don't know, old chicken bones to carpet fluff. And then they produce uh, from that a plastic alternative in pellets, and that can be recycled on six times compared to what usual, like PA, could be recycled maybe on one occasion. So we are looking at sustainable packaging. As, as one of the themes. Uh, I can't remember the end of your quote now, uh, Andre. sorry. Okay, so, uh, so too, uh, too circular, circular,
0: circular processes, uh, distribution, and quantifiable food consumption. Look, this is extremely broad, okay? Uh, yeah. What are you not looking for? Like, can we just do it the other way around?
1: Yeah, we can do that. We can definitely do that. Just I, I do want to touch on the circularity. Part. Okay, go ahead. Just, go ahead. R- just really briefly, and that is just very briefly to say, that alongside all of this recycling, upcycling chat that I've been giving you about the sustainable packaging side streams as uh, as a theme everybody's talking about plant-based diets which is great uh, retailers are really hot on the subject consumers are really excited about plant-based alternatives veganism has been in the headlines for years now we anticipate sidestream stream um, and and upcycled products for consumers in the in the retail shelves are going to be hot property in in the next couple of years um, so that's one i want to call out because i think any companies who are looking at how to optimize and upcycle waste streams is great stuff what we're not looking at okay we're always hesitant around anything that that is just a brand so there's a lot of companies that are plant-based alternatives that are ultimately just a brand and and Number one, we' are a tech investor, so we do want to see something defensible and and scalable in the in the solution that's also our expertise uh, Number two, those brands it's great what the entrepreneurs are trying to do is fantastic it's just really difficult to defend because if you've got the cargos and the large organizations of this world that turn around and decide that they also want to make a soy based beef patty or even just even just supermarkets want to do it under a white label, how are you going to defend that position it's going to be really difficult it's going to be basically potentially them and beyond meat. So we're a bit hesitant there. Another one which last year famously got 35% of all of our pipeline is dashboard and management systems, startups, entrepreneurs who are developing dashboards and management systems for agriculture in particular. There are just so many of them. Uh, there's gonna be consolidation in that space uh, quite soon, we think. So we we have we are looking at a couple, but they need to be really special to to get our attention.
0: Yeah, why does everyone want so much to create a dashboard for uh, agriculture? What's so attractive in it for startups?
1: Well, it's in terms of f- potential impact for for the ag industry. It's a low hanging fruit, you know. It's it's the, the 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 ag industry at least up until recent years was still using paper based management systems. Um, in many parts of the world, they still they still do, and and I'm not, I'm not just referring to emerging countries um so if you're recording like you know yield data for your crops you're just entering it into a with a pen and paper so that's a pretty easy wind for you know to, to provide a, a much more efficient and um uh, more easily manageable solution by putting it into a dashboard and then of course the dream is that you get to Get to suck up all that data from all these farms and everything, which is which is rarely the rarely the reality because the farmer owns the data. It's their it's it's their business, and and then, and then I think the, there's some really great examples of companies who have who've done a good job of it, like Trellisag in in um, in Israel, or. A company that are specialized in uh, viticulture with vineyards, and they just specialize on vineyards they know everything about the grape down to you know what uh, you know what different barrels within the within a specific vineyards um, operations will have on the impact of taste and flavor of a particular vintage of wine they're forecasting all that stuff that's great, but there's a lot of companies out there that are are, are very generic in the approach and they're just going and saying, well, you farmers just need help with managing data. That's not really true. They need help in understanding very specific data around specific crops that they're producing in specific climatic environments in order to make better decisions. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I really like uh, the way you're talking about it. And uh, I I, I understand. I remember that you yourself have a farming uh, background and then uh, Mm -hmm. ag entrepreneurial background, right? Yeah, I do. And and now you're actually you're you're back in Scotland, if I'm not mistaken, right? You're not in the Netherlands anymore.
1: I'm sitting in Scotland at this moment. Yes, yeah, that so was one of the.
0: Are you yeah. far away from the farm uh, where you where you grew up?
1: I'm about three hours drive from the farm where I grew up, and uh, that's a 350 hectare mixed production arable farm and the cruel irony <laughs> is that i've been abroad personally i've been abroad for about 11 years now and i came back to scotland uh partly for personal reasons because my son will start school this year but also because uh, during a lockdown it's nice to be closer to family and friends so i figured why not come back and it coincided with uh, my father selling the farm so we actually just sold our farm last week wow. so that's very fresh yeah yeah big difference <laughs>
0: Can imagine well. I mean, I was I was tr- kind of leading towards a question, which I'm not really sure I should be asking now. But anyway, <laughs> after being an entrepreneur and having this sort of farming background, and then uh, sp- spending uh, these uh, few years uh, as part of an accelerator and the VC, are you are you tempted to maybe at some point go back and try to do build something yourself? Uh, since you um, you know so much about these things, and you kind of uh, see uh, what uh, is uh, what this market, uh, what this niche really needs.
1: Well, that 's a good one, Andre. Over the last three decades, more give or take i've been wrestling with the whole thing about doing the the actual farming or not. One of the things that brought me to the point I am just now is because i 'm frustrated by a lot of the inefficiencies in the food system, and this seemed like a good way to help other people. Solve them. So I guess I guess I would I like the idea of it. I really like the idea of going back and far properly farming. I really miss seeing the progress of the seasons and seeing my production, and and seeing my yields and so forth. But I also know that that in terms of like larger impact, I can probably do a lot more in the role I am just now by helping other entrepreneurs who are who are talented and and, and smarter than I am to move forward so i get a lot of energy from that i guess i guess the short answer is it'd be lovely to put some of this stuff into practice 20 years from now but i'm not in a rush to do it just yet
0: Right. No, that's a good answer. That's a great answer. Thank you. And uh, another thing I was also wanted to kind of uh, ask you to uh, look at a bigger picture for me and uh, uh, tell me what you think about uh, how the whole industry, how the whole ecosystem uh, has been evolving. But first, I wanted to ask uh, what you mentioned uh, back in November 2019 as well, is that you were trying to help the transition uh, from a food supply chain to a food supply system. Uh, that, that's, mm. a, that, that's a direct quote, I think. So, is it has? what does it mean once again? And uh, are we getting there? Is it happening?
1: Yeah, I mean, what it means is we are uh, ultimately, uh, the, the food supply, food production, processing, logistics, etc. has been set up as a chain because that's how human beings thought it would be efficient to do it. You have different stakeholders along that chain. Uh, if you're too far away from one stakeholder, you don't talk to each other. And the food supply system would be a much more holistic view on how it is that we produce process distribute food and that's that that topic of side streams is one example of that you know one waste stream from one stakeholder in the industry is actually a raw and raw material or an input for another part of the industry and that's what we're trying to work on there i'm very optimistic about the transition to being a food supply system i think in the short time uh, since we had that interview andre which was like less than a year and a half ago at rockstar we've seen some of our portfolio companies going strength to strength so like you know beyond leather materials is a great example of a company who's they're taking waste uh, from the apple brewing industry and then they're making vegan leather which is one of the only fully natural vegan leathers out there you know so don't buy pleather check it first of all um they're an example of a company who have gone leaps and bounds and that whole industry that whole like that, that whole plant-based leather uh, segment of textiles is being taken much more seriously. And that imp- that is a positive impact onto our food supply system because that's food production that would usually be going to a waste product that is now being used by H&M and Best Seller and the Caring Group and, and, and even in cars for automobiles. It's awesome. The other great example we have is, is the impact that Corona had on our food supply system. So in the first months of Corona, you have these images where you've had like tons of produce rotting in the field and then empty supermarket shelves because everything was geared up towards wholesale transactions into, and, and for the most part, horeca. And, uh, and that meant that suddenly you had a huge chunk of the, of the demand side uh, or, or the purchasing side uh, of um, and, the, and the population going to their retailers instead of going out to the, the restaurants to, to eat. That was solved relatively quickly so it does show you just how resilient the food system actually is and and also with uh, under particular pressure well, under pressure everything becomes fluid right so behavior within the industry changed in a very short turnaround so i'm i'm really optimistic about the direction things are going i think it's i think uh, there's always work to be done but it's going in the right way Right.
0: And another thing that you mentioned uh, back uh, back then is that the uh, food industry, the agri-food industry is very difficult to break into uh, for startups. Has it become different? Has it become easier uh, thanks to Corona, the, the general disruption or any other, uh, any other uh, reasons?
1: I don't think it's become easier because of Corona. If anything, that's made it a bit more difficult because you need to understand the industry uh, without being able to really get out there and meet people meet with people and, and talk to them um i think what might have made it make what might be making it a bit easier is that you start to see a lot of uh companies that are really getting to a, a, a meaningful scale now are like I mean a few examples on the alternative protein side because they're they're just taking off like Perfect Day for example who are using f- synthetic um, foods production with, with with yeast for dairy alternatives they're of a really meaningful size now you've got the the obvious ones like Beyond Meat going through that IPO so you have these success stories of companies who have come in as an outsider and are actually holding a meaningful position on the supermarket shelf now. That's a trailblazer, right? It, it, it leads uh, for other opportunities for other entrepreneurs to come in. Hazel Technologies, another great example. They raised like, I think, somewhere like 70 odd million um, uh, dollars a couple of months back. And they're using um, active plant ingredients to prolong fresh fruit and vegetables lifespan so that there's less waste. Well, we have a portfolio company, GreenPod Labs, that are doing exactly that. Uh, The founders are not necessarily directly from the food industry. They're they're scientists. But it's made it a lot easier for them to go and speak to um, investors when they're doing their fundraising because there's just a higher level of education about what it is that they're trying to do. So it's getting a bit easier for that reason, I think.
0: Right. And uh, we are uh, getting closer to the end of the time that we've uh, got uh, for this conversation. And so I really wanted to just ask something like very, very broad. So where do you think is this uh, whole industry is going and uh, how optimistic are you about uh, uh, things uh, that are going to happen uh, with it and within it?
1: Oh gosh, that's a big question, Andre. To finish on, <laughs> um, I'll try and answer it best I can. I think, and, and, uh, and let's focus on Europe.
0: Like in Europe, yeah. is there anything particular to Europe as well?
1: Uh, well, Euro- Europe. I mean, you have to give credit here where it's due, which is that we are, I think, stronger on sustainability regulations and ambitions than many other parts of the world i think uh, more accepting and and also in some ways demanding for sustainable and and uh, natural products and that's coming back to your earlier question from the quantifiable consumer side we see consumers taking that very seriously they want to understand about their nutritional and, and their health and diet um so that's pushing things in a you know that's where regulation is actually pushing things in a relatively positive direction um and it comes back to that topic about the, the plastic packaging for example um there's there's all sorts of different um, pressures and um uh, and incentives too for corporations to be moving in a more uh, circular and and sustainable fashion so that's going in a very good direction I think as an industry overall the pace of change is ramping up I mean we, we started fundraising for this fund back in 2018 and at that point alternative proteins and and plant-based diet a lot of people were still asking me what veganism was um, now I mean plant-based as I said earlier on is is the hot topic of the moment it's about to go through its first hype cycle so I think it's I think we're about to hit the kind of the dip of the first hype which is great news because that means when it comes back, it'll come back with even more vigor. Yeah, so I, th- I think these trends and the speed of uh, of, um, of of change, uh, we can almost start. We can almost get to a point in the next few years where we can start to refer to the uh, the food transition just in the same way that we would refer to the energy transition um, for more sustainable and renewable energy. So I think it's positive overall.
0: Right, right. So uh, it is already late, uh, too late for uh, startups to apply for your uh, for your upcoming cohort, isn't it?
1: Uh, Yeah, the application phase is closed. But of course, we always want to hear from talented entrepreneurs. So you you can go to www.rockstart.com and go into the agri-food section. And there is is a kind of catch-all form there. You can get in touch with us. We're we're, we're only at the early stages of deploying capital from our fund. So we're going to be making at least, uh, we'll be making another 30 new investments over the next couple of years from this fund, and uh, we've got another 10 investments that we would like to do this year. So I shouldn't discourage entrepreneurs from reaching out. We can also invest outside of the uh, selection day's time. But now is the time that we're really focused on, uh, uh, of, of course, on, on making some investments this summer.
0: So. Right. Right. I can imagine. And uh, when does the program start? The, the upcoming one? That will be in August, kickoff in August. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Mark, uh, thank you so much. Thanks a lot uh, for uh, joining this uh, first uh, TechU podcast hangout on uh, Twitter spaces. Uh, Sorry for the hiccup at the beginning. Thanks a lot for finding the time to talk.
1: Yeah. Thank you. It was great. Uh, And thanks to anybody who's listening as well. And this is it for
0: today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, follow us today wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if that place has a possibility to rate and review the show, please do that as well. Our audio engineering is done by SoundPulse. That is sound-pulse.com. Your questions, suggestions, and opinions are always very welcome. Please send them to podcast at tech.eu. This was TechEU Podcast. I am Andrew Degler, and I will talk to you again next week. For now, take care and enjoy the weekend.
1: Bye-bye.